praying tonight, but before we pray, I just want to refresh your memory and all of us just to, to look at some scriptures that will build it strong in our heart, how God views people, how God views the lost. Aren't you thankful that we don't serve an angry God? Some of you that have little kids or when your kids were little or perhaps you've got grandkids around. Remember Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head? I still remember those shows, Toy Story. John just loved all of those shows. And I remember one time he's getting ready to go off on a mission, Mr. Potato Head. And his wife said, don't forget your angry eyes because she wanted him to look mean. But aren't you glad that God doesn't have angry eyes? He doesn't get upset at us. He's not angry at the world. He loves the world. And we ought to have that same attitude toward people. Amen. When God created man, before he ever created man, he knew exactly what was going to happen. There are no oops and there are no surprises to God. He didn't, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and sinned, he didn't go, oh, what are we going to do now? I did not see that coming. Yes, he did. Before he ever created man, before they fell, he had a plan. And he put this plan in place and it took 2,000 years for or longer for it to come to fruition through the Lord Jesus Christ thousands of years but during that time he was working on a remedy to bring his separated man back into fellowship with him sin separated man from God but we know that our Lord Jesus Christ he's the one that bridged that gap but down through the eons of time before Jesus ever came in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 16 this is what our father God saw and he saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no intercessor Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. So he put, he reached out to his covenant man, Abraham. He established a covenant with him and with his descendants. He had the book of law that was uh, brought forth through Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness. All these things he was putting in place to bridge that gap that sin had divided between him and his created man. But he realized, he knew it, that there was not going to be be a man in the natural that could be that true intercessor that could with one hand touch God and with the other hand touch hurting, dying humanity and make a bridge so that hurting, dying humanity over here could be into the presence of God and brought back into the relationship that he desired and he designed for us to have. So it wasn't going to happen with a man. But it said, but his arm brought salvation. Jesus came and became our Savior. He's the only one that qualified 
to bridge that gap. Are you thankful for Jesus? How many of you in here tonight are born again? You know, I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm on my way to heaven and I'm singing and shouting the victory. Amen. We're thankful for that. That Jesus was willing to come. And we're thankful that our Father God was willing to give heaven's best to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. We're just building our case tonight to reestablish how much God loves hurting humanity. And we want to get his heart. How many of you want his heart? We want the Father's heart on how he sees people. How he sees the lost. How he sees you. He loves you. Amen? Romans chapter 5 verse 8 in the Amplified. But God so God shows and he clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That's what Christ means. The anointed one. He died for us. In this passage, we can clearly see the Father's heart. And we can clearly see how much Jesus loved us and how much he loves the world. He had mercy on us. Anybody thankful for mercy? Listen to what mercy means. A blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. It's a kind, forgiving treatment of someone who could and should be treated harshly. Someone who doesn't deserve it. Well, any of us in here, if we had to earn our own salvation through our works, we don't deserve it. No matter how good you have, try to be. He said there was no man. There was no man that could bring salvation. There's no man that can earn his way to heaven. That's why so many of these religions that get people caught up in works. You got to do this and you got to do that and you have to go here and go there. It's sad because they're trying to do something through the flesh that can only happen in the heart. When we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to keep that in mind when we're praying for people and when we're witnessing to people and sharing the good news with people. It's not our job to clean up their flesh. It's not our job to say, well, you know, you better quit smoking. You better quit drinking. You better quit doing this and stop doing that. And then maybe God will save you. No. It's not contingent on what we do or don't do in the natural. For by grace are you saved through faith. And what is it? It's a gift of God. Hallelujah. I'm thankful. Now, once we get saved, we do need to live righteous. We do need to repent when we miss it and mess up. But it's not through works. Hallelujah. Jesus had mercy on us. Thank 
you, Lord, that you had mercy. And you have mercy on me on a continual basis. His mercies are new every morning. Why are they new every morning? Because we need mercy every single day. I'm glad I didn't get what I deserved. But I'm glad that I received what he's done for me. Amen. I know how to receive it. And I know you do too. So Jesus, because he loved us so much, he became our mediator. He became our intercessor. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but this is good information for when you're ministering to other people. Amen. Hebrews chapter five, uh, Hebrews seven, 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So we see it again. It was his love and it's his mercy that saved us. But I like how it says here, he ever liveth. There is no end to Jesus' love. There's no end to his mercy. There's no end to how many people can come to heaven. He doesn't reach a point where God says, okay, we're overflowing up here. We've run out of real estate. There's no place to build any new mansion. So too bad. If you were born after 2020 or 2010, cut off. Sorry. No. His love goes on and on like that song that we sing on and on. And on, never, ever, ever running out. And don't you like how it says there, he's able to save to the uttermost. We were just up in Sacramento and Brother Kenneth Copeland, pastors mentioned it a couple of times. Every time before he ministered, he'd sing. And I don't think I've been in a meet, one of his meetings where he didn't sing that song. When he was on the cross... I was on his mind. But it's the truth. You say, well, how could, how could I have been on his mind? You know, I wasn't born until 1950 or whenever you were born. Because he can love every single one of us all at once. And every single one of us have a place in his family, in his heart, and on his Mine. And that passage there, it says he's able to save them to the uttermost. So I just looked that up today. Uttermost. Uttermost. The two first definitions that came up were maximum and extreme. That just spoke to me. He's able and he's willing to love us to the maximum level. And he is extreme about what he wants to do in your life. He wants you to be extremely saved, extremely delivered, extremely healed. How about extremely blessed? That's his intention for us. And he blesses us in this extreme, uttermost fashion, not just for our own benefit. That's certainly a part of it. 
But we like to say around here, I am blessed to be a blessing. I am extremely saved to the uttermost, extreme, maximum, blessed to be a blessing. It's not about us four and no more. The kingdom of God is about the father and his family. And he wants a huge family. He doesn't want anybody to miss out on heaven. And that ought to be our attitude. So one way that we can be a blessing is we can be a blessing in taking time to pray for other people. I know how busy life can be. And I know that we all go through situations and circumstances in our own life. And it's so easy to get caught up in me, myself, and I. One of the things that, especially this younger generation, it just seems like they're constantly taking selfies. I just don't think that's good for anybody's attitude. If all you want to do is, ooh, I got to get a better shot. This is my good side. This is, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got to post this on Instagram and everywhere because I'm so awesome. Well, God loves you and you awesome. You awesome. But it's not just about us. So it always helps me. If I find myself just consumed with everything that's going on in my life, just to pull back and say, okay, today I'm going to come (laughs) before the throne of grace on behalf of somebody else. And you know, one of the best groups of people that you can pray for and the strong unction will come upon you, the lost The lost get our minds off of ourselves and start praying for the millions probably of people even here in California. I don't know how many even in the Bay Area that don't know the Lord. Just go set out on your front porch if you have a front porch. I wish we did. I like front porches. I grew up with cool front porches. Anyway, but set on your lawn. Or wherever you're at. Like right now. I can start counting these cars that go by out there on Hesperian. And my heart could just be drawn to wow. How many of them don't know Jesus? How many of them are driving by have not got a clue. That this is a church. And that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus has already saved them if they'll just receive it. So when we get consumed with all the problems and all the stress and the pressure that comes to all of us, we ought to just stop for a minute. First of all, go, thank you, Jesus. I'm on my way to heaven. I thank you, Jesus. This earth is not my final home. Lord, I thank you that you have gone to prepare a place for me, but it's not just for me. So I'm asking you now, Touch my heart with your compassion, with your love. Open my eyes, my spiritual eyes, my natural eyes, that I can see how precious humanity is to you. Those people that you find aggravating on 880, 
that cut you off and they don't use their blinker. And those ones that go through a red light and you want to curse them. We definitely need to plead the blood over us, plead the blood over them. But we should just think for a minute. They probably don't know you, Lord. Maybe they're completely distracted by some horrible report they got today. We just don't know what people are facing. And if we would just stop and just get in touch with our heart. God might say, you know, you really need to pray for that person. You need to minister to them. We heard incredible stories yesterday um, on the life of Donnie Moore. Such a powerful man of God. One of the stories that his son told, he said his dad, you know, a lot of people knew him for all that he did in the public eye and they did with youth and at school rallies and all of that. But it was so touching. He said, us kids at home, we saw what, what, how he lived at home, what he did behind the scenes. And he told a story about this lady that his dad saw at the store. And it was around Christmas time. She was buying flowers and something. He, she looked upset. And, of course, Donnie turned around and he said, oh, those are beautiful flowers. And she began to say, yes, I recently lost my husband. And I bought these flowers to take to his grave. And so Donnie Moore, of course, he paid for her flowers. But then he went home and he got to thinking, well, there's only one cemetery here. And I, she must have been a young woman. And it's getting close to Christmas time. And so he got, went home, got a bunch of money. And he drove to the cemetery and drove around until he found that woman at her husband's grave. And he didn't want to scare her. You know, he was a huge giant of a guy. So he kind of gingerly walked up there and said, you know, I'm not stalking you. I'm, you know, made that clear. But I just wanted to bless you. It's close to Christmas. She had little kids. I want to give you this money for your, so you can have a good Christmas with your kids. He didn't do that in front of cameras. He didn't do that to be seen of man. But just think how that woman's life was changed by the compassion of God. We can do the same thing. We can show acts of kindness. We can be compassionate. And you know what it does? People say, well, you're a true Christian. I want to know him. The way you're showing him in your life, I want to know him. So we do this through our actions, but we also need to be like Jesus. And Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. That doesn't mean that we're going to have to die for people, but it means to lay down our life for our friends, laying down your life means, okay, I want to watch this show tonight. I want to do this, me, me, me again. But I have this prompting in my spirit. I need to pray for so-and-so. I need to pray for this person that I know doesn't know Jesus. Oh, I just have this, we'd call it a burden on the inside of me that I, I need to lift this person up. So what does it mean to lay down our life? We lay aside our agenda. We lay aside things that we think are so important, like Brother Donnie did. That took a lot of time out of his day to do that. But because of love 
compelling him. Love will compel you to lay aside what you want to do. Laying down your life could be Jesus waking you up, the Holy Spirit waking you up in the middle of the night and you getting up and praying for somebody. That's what that means. To lay down our lives. And I'm thankful for each one of you persons that came tonight because I know we've got some serious people here that are going to pray and are willing to make a difference in people's lives. And when a core of a church will do that, there'll be a change. There is an assignment on this church and there is revival that's about to break out. And we are going higher. And the foundation of it is always the word, but it is the word and the spirit. And it is always based on prayer. The success of any Christian endeavor is based on the prayer behind it. Amen. So I want to exhort you just a little bit longer here on what it means to be, to intercede. This is an attitude, to intercede. Intercede means to mediate, to intervene between two parties with a view of reconciling differences. Intercession, standing in the gap in prayer between a person or persons who have provoked judgment upon themselves. When I was preparing this message, this phrase came up in my heart, and I believe this will help us see the importance of staying in faith when we pray. No matter what kind of prayer you pray, there's all kinds of prayer that we'll see listed in the Word of God. The prayer agreement, you know, the the prayer, united prayer, Prayer of faith, of course, all different kinds of prayers. But there is not a prayer of doubt and unbelief. Any kind of prayer that we pray, we need to pray it in faith and we need to stay in faith. So this phrase came to me. Are we interceding or are we interfering? Are we interceding or are we interfering? Someone who intercedes stands in the gap. And they stand on the side of God, the side of mercy, the side of love. Our prayers, our words, our actions, our faith filled. But listen to this definition of interfering. To interpose in a way that hinders or impedes to be in opposition of. Now, the Lord has a wonderful sense of humor. He gives me like bar and drinking illustrations, which I've never done. And sometimes he gives me sports illustrations, which I've never played. But as I was thinking about that word interfering, I thought about in sports, there is something called interference. So my husband was busy. I know he could have given me this, but I decided to look this up for a football game. A play interference. Listen to what it said. It is a foul that occurs when a player interferes with an eligible receiver's ability to make a fair attempt to catch a forward pass. So that means that somebody, the quarterback is throwing a pass and somebody illegally interferes 
with this catcher about to catch the football. And so this is what came to me. We can pray the right prayers. And we know that when we pray according to the word of God, there is tremendous power that is made available when we pray in faith. But we can negate or interfere with those results coming to pass. The Holy Ghost can call a pass interference on us. If once we have prayed and that we're throwing that prayer toward this certain person, let's say it's somebody that's lost. We're throwing this prayer and it's going right toward them and it's about to hit their spirit and cause darkness to be dispelled and light. To come. And we've been standing for a while. We threw that prayer out there and we, we're believing it's working, but then all of a sudden we get moved. We get moved by circumstances. We get moved by their demonic actions. And we begin to say things like, oh, I prayed for them, but, but is the badge of doubt. I prayed for them, but they're acting worse than ever. I guess they're never going to change. There's no hope for them. They don't want God. It seems like they are bound and determined to just go to hell. What did we do? We interfered with that path. We interfered with that prayer that we prayed. Now, God's merciful. We've already established that. So if you've done that, you know, just say, okay, Lord, I prayed that in faith, but I got off track. I got moved. I got moved. I saw what they did. (laughs) I saw their purple hair and 25 new tattoos. (laughs) Not that either one are wrong, but it could move us. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We get moved. Oh, they came home. Oh, Lord, they came home with that breath. I know what they've been doing. I know it's legal, but Lord, I know they've been smoking weed and it's not a good thing. And we negate our prayers. If you've done that, just say, okay, Lord, I repent. I'm going to pick that football prayer back up. I'm going to throw it in faith and I am not taking my eye off. Of what I believe I receive. Amen. That's praying in faith and staying in faith. Let me ask you this. What does the Bible say? How is how are the just supposed to live? You all are you're a good class here. Romans 117, for it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let me ask you another question. How are we supposed to walk? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. So if we get saved by faith, we live by faith, we walk by faith. Don't you think it makes sense? We ought to pray in faith and stay in faith once we have prayed in faith. Amen. And pray from that heart of our Father. Let me just remind you this. In Romans chapter 5. 
And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So again, now to pray effectively, we pray in faith and we pray from a heart of love. That's right. Amen. The love of God. Yeah. Where is it? It's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Effectual, fervent prayer does not come from our head. It comes from our heart. Prayer is like a circle. Prayer begins with God. We get what we look in the word of God. We get it from his spirit. This is what God wants to do in the earth. He puts it down into our heart and then we lift it back up to him. It's a circle. Prayer begins with the father putting something in our heart, us lifting it up to him and then him answering it. Hallelujah. But it's heart. If the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, that's where we need to be praying from a heart of love, not a heart of judgment, not a heart of being critical. Again, we can look at what people are doing and maybe people close to us. And sometimes we just, we're tempted to get critical and say, they are pathetic. They are such losers. You can watch even a group of people maybe in San Francisco holding a rally or something. And, you know, I have to turn it off because I would be moved by what I see. But if you look at a group of people and you have disgust for them, then you need to say, look, I repent. Every person is valuable and precious to you. You love the sinner. But you don't love their sin. But that's how I'm going to live and that's how I'm going to pray. I'm going to love the person. I don't have to love what they're doing. But I'm going to take your heart in this matter. And that love that is shed abroad in my heart, it compels me to cry out on their behalf. Hallelujah. Oh yes. And to cry out for mercy. We should never ever underestimate the power of prayer and the ability of that prayer to change hurting, dying, sighing humanity. Let me sum this up here. How do we pray for the lost and for the hurting, for sighing, dying humanity? First of all, we remember that Jesus has already paid the price for their salvation. You can look it up later, but Second Timothy, Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9, it tells us that he's long-suffering and he is not willing that any should perish. So we establish salvation is a free gift. It is for all. He's not willing that any should perish. We stand in the gap. We appropriate his promise. We cry out for mercy. And we pray that spiritual darkness would be removed off of their eyes. Then we ask for anointed labors. And many times when we ask for anointed labor, we're saying, Lord, 
Send a labor. Lord, send a labor. Lord, send a labor. And then he goes, knock, knock. Knock, knock. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Who's this? This is Jesus. Knock, knock. You've been praying for an anointed labor for your neighbor. Knock, knock. You need to go over there and knock, knock on the door. You're the anointed labor. Many times we ourselves are the anointed labor. And maybe not for the particular person we're praying for, but we can be the anointed labor for somebody else's person they're praying for. We can be the answer to somebody else's prayer over their relatives. That's how it works. Isn't it great? The body of Christ. So let me close by giving you this illustration. Y'all have probably heard of John G. Lake. He was an amazing apostle to the continent of Africa. And when he began his ministry over there, he was in, in uh, Johannesburg. And he was up in this high-rise building so he could look out and he could see the lights of hundreds of villages. And he said from the window, he's standing there looking and he said, Dear God, how do we reach this multitude of people? And the Lord spoke back to him and said, the church, which is my body. And he said, yeah, yeah, Lord, I know the church is your body. But how do we reach this multitude of people? Again, the Holy Spirit said, the church, which is my body. Yes, I know. I know your church is the your body. The third time, Lord. How do we reach this multitude? The church, which is my body. And then it dawned on him and he realized what the Lord was saying. The power to reach these people would and will be made possible through the church, through the prayers of the saints. And then he directed his attention to this river that was running out there. And there was a big generator upstream that was producing the power to light all of these villages that he was looking at. And the Spirit of the Lord said this, that your prayers and the prayers of the church, my body, will generate the power it takes To reach into these villages. Our prayers bring power and revelation into dark hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the honor to pray. And to know that when we do, tremendous power is made available. James chapter 5 verse 16. If you want to look that up. Mm -hmm. Tremendous power. (laughs) Dynamic in its working. Is made available when we pray. So let's all stand right now.